Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. And today we're talking Instagram antics, misinformation, crispy cows, and healthy at every size. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 87 of the Eat Right Nutrition podcast today. Nicole, what are we talking about today? (laughs) I don't even want to say it. Today, we're just going to go off the cuff. But the first thing I wanted to talk about, Nicole, was this recent article about. I'm going to let you take that one. About CRISPR cattle for meat production. (laughs) I can't. FDA clears CRISPR cattle for meat production. It's C-R-I-S-P-R, and that is genetic modification of cows. So this article here reads, the so-called PRLR slick cattle join a short list of gene-edited animals approved by the FDA for human consumption, including Aqua Bounty's GMO salmon and a pig whose meat lacks the sugar That causes some people to have allergic reactions to red meat. So recently, the decision has been made, I guess, Nicole, to allow these genetically modified or CRISPR gene edited cattle to be produced for meat. And the whole goal behind this thing is that they're born with short hair and a slick coat. And some scientists say cattle with an extremely short coat may be better able to tolerate hot weather. And I think I read somewhere that this is like something to do with global warming and it's warmer. And now these cows are able to grow faster uh, within hotter climates. And, you know, one of the things that I saw on Instagram that was brought up, which is a good point, is aren't cows one of the biggest contributors to global warming to begin with? (laughs) You got something for me. We just had a whole conversation about this. I really don't know what to say about this. I really don't. Nicole, how do you feel about this, uh, (laughs) this meat in your supermarket? Um, I think it's awful, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. I don't don't know how to feel about it. Let me first say, I don't really know much about it. I didn't I have no I, I this article we're going off the cuff here today. So I've never seen the article. I've never read the article. I haven't heard about any of this. So I really don't know what to say because I don't want to say stuff that I'm not. I don't feel like I'm like up to date on. So let me put it to you this way with the food industry. Nothing surprises me anymore with the ridiculousness of, of what they'll do to mass produce. How about that? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, listen, I think. These poor animals. That's what I will say. I don't know how I feel about it, but I just there's something in me that just doesn't want to eat this stuff. Listen, I'm not a big beef eater anyway. Yeah. And if I am going to eat meat, then I do prefer pasture raised meat, which actually, Nicole, interestingly enough, uh, I just saw some data from Rob Wolf apparently hired some somebody to like do a review of research for him on the difference between grass fed cattle and conventionally raised cattle like corn fed or grain fed cattle in terms of in terms of nutrients. And what they found 
apparently, and I, you know, I would have to take a deeper dive into this, but apparently what they found was negligible differences in omega-3 composition and virtually mm-hmm. no difference in, you know, vitamins and minerals and other nutrients. Yeah. So that's interesting to me because everything else, like if you compare pasture raised eggs mm-hmm. versus conventionally raised eggs, there's a big difference Yeah. in terms of the nutrient profile. Yeah. If you compare other foods, you, you find it, you find a big like fish, for example, if you compare mm-hmm. fish farm raised versus right. wild caught, you see a big difference. And I guess the point is that you would expect to see a bigger difference in cattle, but you don't. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, I feel like it, I, oh, I don't even know how to articulate this in a, uh, in a way that won't sound really crass, but I just think they, that I think we're, we're not in control of our food and how it is raised anymore. So far from that, that it doesn't surprise me what they're willing to do to mass produce. I'll say that again. And it doesn't surprise me what they're willing to do to create things that don't exist, like animals that have short hair, cows that have short hair, like they're willing to genetically modify to create more of those to feed the world. Yet we're obese and we have a lot of people that are hungry. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense to me how that all kind of fits into. And here's the other thing I'll say. I've talked about this before. I had a friend that grew up on a dairy farm. They treated their animals like kings and queens. Like they treated like them well. Yeah, they did. And even though they lived off the land and killed to eat, they were so well like treated And I feel like, you know, this may get a little woo woo for us, but I do feel like these animals that are being genetically modified and and not taken care of and not treated well, and then they're getting on our plates to eat. I feel like there's a lot of negativity, toxicity and like icky ickiness. Well, that's like the thought Treat that- it to that animal and then I'm eating it and you're putting that energy. I'm, I'm putting that in my body and I don't really like that. That's like the thought that like a stressed out cow that's unable to move its entire life. Exactly. Like, that's going to somehow affect your health. Well, I know that you may laugh at me for that, but I don't know why it, it bothers me. I don't know if that's exactly the reason. Maybe I would want my food to be treated well so that I know that when I put it in my body, it has- air and kindness and and good energy that I'm going to then put into my muscle tissue and feed my body. So it, it but you could say that. Listen, we're talking about animals. You can say that about the tomatoes I eat. You can the bruised fruit like I never get fruit that's bruised in the supermarket. That drives me crazy because I feel like it's not been taken care of. So I know that sounds silly, but you wouldn't eat blueberries that were all jammed up and disgusting and had fuzz on them or at least i wouldn't well there's actually that company misfit markets that sells like misfit uh fruits and vegetables and they're cheaper because they're the ones that the supermarket won't sell because they won't put them on the shelf yeah because people because someone like me i won't i will not buy bruised apples or like i mean a little bit's one thing but if it's all banged up no i won't buy that but i mean that i guess that i might be a little bit of a fruit snob but I want my food to be good in its quality. So I'm well, I would I would argue this, Nicole, that the fruit that's prettier is probably I didn't going to be the GM- prettier. It's, it's going to be the GMO fruit. 
<laughs> it is. Oh, it okay, is. so it's, it's gonna... the shiny chemical driven. It's the fruit, shiny. Right? That yeah, was... that's not what I mean, though. I'm not looking for it to be shiny. I just don't want it to be like it, if you stepped on my apple, I wouldn't eat it. <laughs> Speaking then of you cut it up, it's brown. It doesn't even look like rich. Do you now? Well, this is a question for you. If you had a rotten banana, would you eat it? No, but there are some people that would argue uh, brown bananas. And you and I have heard this with the bananas. Brown bananas have more antioxidants. Therefore, you should eat brown bananas. A brown banana, I would cook with it if you wanted to. Like I would I use like, let me clarify so I don't get in trouble for this. I use bruised if I I have something in my refrigerator that's been in and I haven't eaten it, I'll cook with it like I'll use a bruised banana or a brown banana in a smoothie or in my protein pancakes, things like that. But I won't eat that just as a regular like raw banana with a, some peanut butter. Do you it know depends. What I'm saying? It depends how bruised we're talking. I'm talking like halfway. I mean, then we're also talking like there's it gets like, sweeter. Isn't that gross? It gets sweeter over time as it ripens. And yes, then there's yes. that turnaround turnover. Point exactly. Where it doesn't taste as good. Well, I wouldn't eat. Point. I wouldn't freely eat that. I, I'd probably go. I don't know, in the garbage. While OK, people... so an apple that's bruised and deeply black when you cut into it, you're telling me you'd eat that? No. Why the hell would I eat a rotten apple? Well, that you're saying rotten. That's my whole point. When I say bruised, I think rotten. No, the bruised pieces I cut off. Yeah, but the OK, so if you can salvage it, that's fine. But I'm talking when you look in the grocery store, some of them are pretty beat up, like cucumbers that have like you gotta go to the right grocery store. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, okay, well, I don't go to the expensive grocery stores. Moving along, if anybody has any comments and wants to read up <laughs> on this, uh, these crisper cows and crisper yeah. meat that's going to hit let your supermarkets, know. I think it's said within the next two years. Shoot us a DM and let us know your thoughts. Maybe I'll post something on our Instagram story. What do you think about crisper? Um, yeah, you should. Crisp, crisper cows or crisper meat hitting your supermarkets within the next two years. Moving along, though. I do, Nicole, want to take some time today, and I think this was the biggest piece that we wanted to talk about today in today's episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess it's kind of like IG scare tactics, and it's not necessarily just IG scare tactics. It's more so just scare tactics in general, but since we're so heavily involved in social media, I think IG is the place where we get a lot of this stuff, and oftentimes I see from a lot of people that I'm friends with on Instagram or people that I follow on Instagram, I see them posting or reposting certain things on their Mm -hmm. stories that I'm just like, all right, like, can we put, please put some context on some of this. And I want to start with one of the things that I saw a post today. And one of the things that really bugs me is you know, calling things poison or calling them toxic without mm-hmm. having some type of a context, right? So some of the things that we talk about or or some of the things that are seen on social media are talking about sugar out of context, talking about fructose out of context, talking about refined seed oils and vegetable oils and soybean oils out of context, talking about whole grains out of context and calling these things toxic. So I do want to take some time to put some of these into context, because generally speaking, what you'll see on Instagram is it's kind of like fear mongering and it just pisses me off. So I want to start with the sugar thing and talking about sugar is bad for you and sugar is toxic. I'll put this in perspective. Any carb that you eat is down the line going to break down into sugar. 
you are going to have you're basically going to have either glucose or fructose. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be processed by your body. It's going to be processed by your liver. Now, what's going to what what the research shows and Nicole, I'm going to I'm going to reference the research here with the research what the research shows in terms of, let's say, something like high fructose corn syrup. The first thing I want to put into context here is high fructose corn syrup is a very close, similar composition. I think it's like 55, 45, 55 percent glucose, 55, 45 percent or 55% fructose, 45% uh, glucose. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And your fruit sugar, your sugar from fruit is roughly the same composition. And your table sugar is also roughly the same composition. They're about 50% fructose, 50% glucose. Sucrose, which is table sugar, is 50-50. Your fruit sugar is 50-50. Your high fructose corn syrup is like a little bit more leaning towards fructose, but it's basically 50-50. That's how I view it. Yeah. So they're all the same thing. So to say that high fructose corn syrup is so bad for you, then you're essentially demonizing fruit, too. Yeah. But I don't think people see those two as separate things. Like, I don't think people see high fructose corn syrup and fruit as the same. They think one is good and one is bad or they're all bad based on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. Or they think that fruit is bad and fruit makes you fat. And I've talked about this before and you guys can reference the Instagram if you haven't seen it where I did the fruit loss challenge. And for 30 days, I had nothing but fruit for my carbs. And I was in a calorie deficit and I lost weight and I lost body fat. Yeah. So that what does that mean? That means that the sugar in fruit, it's not the, the sugar that's making you fat. It's not the sugar that's contributing to obesity. It is the caloric surplus. Yeah. And when you add sugar on top of that, that's where it becomes an issue. And I'll tell you right. why that's when it becomes an issue. So when you look at research and you overfeed fructose to mice Mm -hmm. and we're talking overfeeding, so you have a calorie surplus combined with excess fructose. This is where you end up with things like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. This is where you end up with uh, cholesterol issues. This is where you end up with inflammation in the body. You end up with all of these problems because it's overfed. But if I were to eat in maintenance calories, Mm-hmm. or eat in a, a, a calorie deficit, I'm not going to see those effects. And I think f- what happens is this. Mechanistically speaking, fructose, when it's processed, it's a little bit different than glucose, right? So if you were to eat, let's say, a potato, and uh, you know what I'm thinking about now? I'm thinking about, <laughs> since we're talking about Instagram, I'm thinking <laughs> about that, um, those, uh, those reels. Where yeah. it's like where it's like a cute dog and he's like, I'm a potato. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking about with the potatoes. But anyway, if you were to eat a potato, that's going to break down into glucose, right? Mm-hmm. The difference is when you have fruit, that's going to break down into glucose and fructose. Or when you have high fructose corn syrup, that's going to break down into glucose and fructose. Now, fructose has uh, it's essentially what's going to happen is your liver is going to convert it into triglycerides. Right. And that's where you end up with excess fat. Right. Where you can end up with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. But if you're in a calorie deficit or you're in maintenance, mm-hmm. your body's just going to burn through that fat that's created. Right? right. It's just a different metabolic pathway that we're talking about that we're talking about here. So I think mechanistically speaking, that's when you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, like 
fructose and high fructose corn syrup is bad for you because it increases your triglycerides and that affects your cholesterol because that affects mm-hmm. your production of VLDL, which is very low density lipoprotein, right? That's the yeah. quote unquote bad cholesterol, yeah. which I don't know if I'd label it entirely bad because it, you know, you have to put that into context too, but yeah, I don't, without even getting into that, mechanistically speaking, that's where people get this stuff from. But when you look at the actual studies, it it's only when overfeeding. But think about uh, absolutely 100%. But then think about the way people live. Part of the reason, well, not part, but the reason why people are obese in our country is because they are overfed and they are overeating these types of sugars. Like people are not eating in maintenance and in a calorie deficit. Look at our practice with our clients. We're trying desperately to get them to understand these principles and these pathways and what food actually does to your body. And they're so confused because of all these conflicting messages that they're getting that they don't believe the good, the real stuff. And they're so busy worrying about the things that don't really matter, kind of the small rocks that they can't focus on just being in a deficit and eating a balanced meal. They're just afraid to eat anything or then they get so scared of making good choices because they're afraid no matter what they make, I can't eat anything. Uh, they get become paralyzed, you right. know, and I agree with you. And then the pendulum swings in the complete opposite direction. And then you're right. scared to eat things. So when I in putting this into context, taking my point and taking your point, Nicole, and then kind of merging them together. Mm-hmm. The reason why these things I would say could or potentially should be frowned upon isn't because they're inherently bad for you. It's because they make it very easy to overconsume calories. Right. And that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. It comes down to overconsumption of total calories, because if you're drinking your calories, this is an easy one, right? This is why yeah. I tell people, hey, try as hard as you can to avoid fruit juices, yeah. Try avoid sodas. I'm perfectly fine with diet soda because I, I honestly, when it comes to artificial sweeteners, I, I haven't seen anything solid to back up any of these claims. That's the, that's another thing that we can kind of jump into on this episode is, you know, when it comes to artificial sweeteners, well, artificial sweeteners affect your insulin and your glucose. Well, they really don't. Um, aside from cephalic phase insulin response, where you taste something sweet and you're chewing it, uh, then, then it may have some type of, uh, response on insulin, not on glucose because you can't increase blood glucose through something that can't be broken down. Right. we talk about soup. Uh, sucralose, for example, right? Sucralose mm-hmm. is Splenda. Sucralose is essentially uh, chlorinated sugar, right? So they take sucrose, which is, like I said, table sugar, uh, and they remove some hydrogens and they uh, instead replace it with chlorine and chlorine tightens the bond so that your body can't break it down. So if your body can't break it down, it's not going to affect your blood glucose. And I've heard claims about, oh, well, it still increases your blood sugar. Well, no, it doesn't because you can't break it down. It goes in one end and right out the other. And it's sweet and, you know, kind of, you know, so I'm perfectly fine with something like that. I guess to put this into context, it's overconsumption because of the types of foods that we're choosing. Right. And then Mm -hmm. this is where one of the other things that I saw, Nicole, was whole grains. Yeah. Being bad for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, in what world? It's well, this is the low carb world. I don't even know if it's the low carb. Like, I don't know where it comes from anymore because again, there was no context put on this. Well, well, because 
because carbs are bad for you. Didn't you know that? Like you're not supposed to have it. If you want to lose weight, you cut out a food. Group. I don't even I see to me. I don't know if it actually came from there or where else? I don't, maybe is it a lectin thing? Is it like I, I don't know, because there's I don't so think many, so many things thrown out there. Yeah, I don't think it's that. I think people like I've heard this. I mean, I don't know from a research end, but I can tell you from a practice practical standpoint, I don't, I can't tell you how many people come up to me during the day in the gym and, or even just clients that say, I'm going to cut my carbs down this week so I can lose a couple pounds before I go on vacation. And I'm like, you really don't need to focus on the carbs. You could just cut down a couple of calories, slice it off the top of everything, like evenly, and you'd be just fine. But Take one snack out. That's 200 calories, maybe. And you'll be you'll take 200 calories off your day. Do that for two weeks. That's 200 calories a day less. That's a, a little bit less calories that you're intaking and you'll be fine. But they pick a specific type of food like carbs, thinking that that's going to create a not just a calorie deficit, but a faster response in weight loss, which is just well, then here's the thing is crazy. oftentimes what they'll what people will do is they won't track or monitor their calories at all. And they'll say, hey, I'm cutting out carbs and then they'll just make up for it in another category. Right. Yeah. They'll make up <laughs> yeah. for it in fat intake. Right. Yeah. And then they'll yeah. because they're still hungry and they're not realizing yeah. that you're not tracking and monitoring what you're eating. So it, you're not creating that deficit because you're still hungry. So you're relying on that cue and then you're eating again. Mm-hmm. But the whole grains thing, I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. So oftentimes, and I'll go back to the sugar thing, right? I want people to reduce their sugar intake, not because it's inherently bad for them. I don't want them to eliminate it. I'm not going to say, hey, sugar's terrible. Sugar's poison. Um, you know, like a lot of the antics and things that I've that I've seen and read over years and years and years. What I'll say is my approach is I'm going to add things to your diet. And by default, things are going to less. Things are going to fall out. I'm not going to tell you to eliminate sugar. I have clients that are very successful eating. Let's say uh, I, I have a specific client that I can think about that eats those little dove chocolates. Yeah, I have and a client that she does the same. Eats them almost every day, and every mm-hmm. once in a while, like once a week, she'll have ice cream. And the rest of her food is whole foods. Yep, and that's fine. And I say where the context matters is that if you're eating too many of those things, they're not going to be satiating. They're not going to be high in fiber. They're not going to be high in protein. Therefore, they're not going to be satiating. Mm-hmm. And they're very easy to overeat. Well, so- yes. And if you're missing, to your point, if you are missing vital pro- um, vital nutrients in that something like protein. So if you're only eating Dove chocolate and you're not eating real food and that you flip the, the balance of that, then... <laughs> Yeah, you're going to start you. I I really do believe you eat. You crave what you eat. Like if you eat chocolate and you eat too much of uh, the empty calories, I should say, or things that aren't creating satiety and nutrient density, that's what you're going to crave. You have to flip the switch. If you have pro if you have a good, great whole full meal for lunch and you have a piece of dark chocolate, a square of dark chocolate or a Hershey's little kiss or something at the end, the ratio of the kiss to the whole meal is is nothing. It doesn't touch anything. But if you're eating a bag of Reese's peanut butter cups and you have that's it, that's lunch, that's not going to be as optimal. Yeah. And the, back to the whole grains thing. Listen, whole grains are going to reduce consumption of sugar because whole grains are going to be high in fiber. And I don't think people generally realize this. That we always look to vegetables for fiber, but whole grains are actually much higher in fiber. And so when when you say whole grains are toxic or whole grains are bad for you. I've got tons of research on gut health 
that will say otherwise. I've got research on pasta, whole wheat pasta. That now you're talking. That's high in. Yeah, I'm talking to the Italian here. <laughs> I've, I've got research on whole wheat pasta enriched with inulin that shows a positive outcome for the bacteria in your gut, which will yield butyrate, which is a short chain fatty acid that helps provide energy to colonocytes or the cells inside of your colon. And also increases GLP-2, which is glucagon-like peptide 2, which increases cell proliferation so that you have new vibrant cells inside of your colon. So right. when you talk about whole grains being bad for you, please tell me what you mean. Enlighten me because yeah. I'm from where I'm sitting and I'm looking at the research, you're looking at it in a context of people are overeating and overconsuming things. And you have to, like you said, Nicole, yes, People are people are overdoing it and they're overeating sugar and they're over, and they're overeating calories. But you making a statement like that, people are going to be so afraid. They're not going to know what to do. Right. You well, that's my point. They get so nervous. So you take all those foods that they're eating in in a surplus away and then they go, OK, well, what can I eat? And you hand them, you know, things that they don't even like. You hand they're them a plate full of either. a full a plate full of ice cubes. I don't know. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Because well, no, you but can't even, eat anything. But think about it. If it's, let's be honest, like if you took my pasta away, I mean, I've said this enough so much on our podcast. If you took my pasta away and said you have to eat this instead, I, I'll be honest with you. I probably wouldn't eat the replacement. I, I want the pasta. I like the pasta now. But if you said to me, you have to make some changes to your health. These are the things you need to do. You can only have a cup of pasta at dinner. Well, okay, now I still get to have my pasta and I'm satiated, but I have to balance that out with a protein and a vegetable and a healthy fat. So I have a good balanced meal instead of me just eating a bowl of pasta with butter. The, the difference between the two is that I get what I love along with, like you said earlier, adding things in to make it a more optimal meal instead of taking the pasta with butter away and telling me good luck to you, but you're not supposed to eat that because it's deadly. And that's what I preach all the time is you can eat the foods that you like within the parameters that we set or we set together, right? If I was coaching yeah. you, Nicole, I'd say, okay, you like pasta? Great. Here's how many carbs you want to hit for the meal. So make right. that work within that meal. If you want to have butter as your carb, as your, if you want to butter as your fat for that meal, then okay, great. Just make sure you're accounting for it. And then yeah. make sure you're having a lean source of protein because you're adding that butter in. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not having steak with butter. Maybe I'm having a piece of fish with my butter and pasta or something. But that's my whole point is I think when you talk about in context, the hard part about Instagram and TikTok and all these social media platforms is that you only have a short period of time or you have this tiny little meme to throw up things that are going to catch people's eye get likes, follows, and create sale for a product or whatever you're selling. And so they're throwing, they're throwing these things out like blinking lights to get you to stop and look at them, read, and instinctually go, hmm, that sounds like something. Click, click. It's, it's a bait. It's a bait in, right? If I put a post up that says, drink water, get your steps in, you know, breathe and meditate and eat healthy protein, nobody reshares that. No, nobody cares. So I get you get nothing when you tell the truth and it's honest, real, simple information. Nobody is going to buy that. Nicole, let's talk about the third one that I saw on this particular post. Now, I'm not going to put anybody on blast here just because I don't feel like doing that today. But on this particular <laughs> post, I also saw uh, I think it was like vegetable oils 
was was what it said. Yeah. So I want to talk about the context of refined seed oils. Yes, in this country, we eat too many of them. But when you look at the meta-analyses on this stuff, we're talking about omega-6 fatty acids. Essentially, that's what we're looking at, right? Do we overconsume omega-6 fatty acids in this country? 100%. There is on average a 20 to 1 ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids. And, and even as high as a 40 to one ratio of omega six to omega three fatty acids. And it's been proposed that we should have a one to one ratio or at most a four to one ratio of omega six to omega three fatty acids. And where this becomes an issue is that it's very cheap to manufacture, just like the whole high fructose corn syrup thing, right? It's very cheap to manufacture these things. Like we subsidize corn. So in this country, right? Government gives uh, money to farmers to make corn. And, you know, essentially it's like a win-win and, and, and it makes it very cheap. So that's why we're using that instead of say cane sugar, because we don't really subsidize that. So the same thing happens with soybean oil and corn oil and vegetable oils, right? They are very cheap. So we put them in a lot of processed foods. Now, the issue isn't that you're eating vegetable oils. The issue is that you're eating a ton of processed food which is leading you to overconsume vegetable oils. When we're looking at it and why this is important to put this, you know, put some understanding on this, omega-3 is what we find in fish, for example, right? EPA, DHA, we find it in some plant sources. Uh, we find ALA, which isn't as bioavailable. What we're looking at when we're looking at omega-3 and omega-6 uh, fatty acid composition is they control these things called eicosanoids, right? Like thromboxanes, for example. Thromboxanes are something that are responsible for thrombosis, which is blood clotting, right? So if you're consuming a diet high in omega-6 fatty acids, you're going to have more blood clotting. If you're having omega-3 fatty acids, that's going to go in the other direction. So kind of think of omega-3 and omega-6 fat as counter-regulatory to each other, right? Mm -hmm. They regulate body temperature. They regulate inflammation right? So uh, your omega-6 fatty acid is going to be pro-inflammatory. Omega-3 fatty acid is going to be anti-inflammatory. But it's inflammation is something that, again, going into context, inflammation is something your body needs. Say you cut your hand and you want yourself not to bleed to death or you don't want it to get infected. Your body is going to isolate that, inflame the area so nothing gets in there and it doesn't get infected. Yeah. And, and you, the, the whole blood clotting thing, right? You don't want to bleed to death. So mm -hmm. you need your blood to clot in case you cut yourself, right? So yeah. kind of kind of same way of looking at things, right? Same scenario, different mechanisms, different things going on. So yeah. we want to look at the importance of a balance of them. But that doesn't mean that, I mean, listen, all the data that, that supports omega-6 consumption says omega-6 and omega-3, they're both heart protective. The issue yeah. is that we're eating too much omega-6. So to say that vegetable oils are bad for you, I think is wrong. I do think that people need to avoid processed foods as much as they can and eat more whole foods. And therefore, they'll be by default consuming less vegetable oils. And I do think that people need to actively either eat fish or eat things that are higher in omega-3, maybe eat omega-3 eggs, right? That's kind of something where you feed the uh, you feed the chickens, uh, let's say flax seeds or or something, some source of omega three, and therefore their offspring is also higher in omega three. Same yeah. thing as kind of fish, right? The issue with fish and farm raised fish versus 
Atlantic or, or wild caught fish is that your farm raised fish is going to be higher in omega six because they're going to feed that fish more, yeah. more like vegetable or soy. They're going to feed it soy. Right. And, and I say this all the time. When are you going to see a fish jump out of the water, eat corn or soy, and then jump back in the water? It's just not going to happen. It's not natural, right? Mm -hmm. So you want a higher omega-3 composition. Don't go for the farm-raised fish. Go for the Atlantic caught or the wild-caught fish, and you're going to be better off. But to demonize it and say that, oh, well, this is bad for you. No, it's bad in the way that we consume it in America, but that doesn't mean that it's bad for you. I think that sometimes the way we deliver messages about food is because they think it's the only way people will listen. Instead of saying, instead of delivering the message, like you just said, it has to be balanced. There's the positive and negative to each of the omegas, and you need to have a, a, a great ratio of both so that your body can utilize it correctly in its proper amount. Instead of teaching that and making that be the primary message, like I said before, that's not the sexy message. That's the boring, most people don't pay attention to it message. But the, the fear and shock message is it's deadly. It's bad for you. You shouldn't have it. And I, I don't know why they think they, meaning this idea behind creating negativity around it, it is, is a um, more powerful, I guess, message than teaching just the real stuff that people need to understand about food. Well, it adds it adds shock value, and that's what seems to sell. Well, in, they're not listening anyway. Let's that, let's be honest. That's they're, but they're that's, not hearing it either way. That they they're hearing it and they're avoiding foods, and then they're afraid to eat foods. And then we've got the other side of the pendulum, right, the, exactly. where where we get into now we've got a whole culture, a whole like kind of subculture created in the field of nutrition, mm -hmm. where you've got anti diet. Right. And you've got uh, intuitive eating and you've got, you know, food freedom where it kind of swings the That's other because way because there's disordered eating around the fear around there's, there's disordered eating because of fear mongering. Right. So then it goes the complete uh, opposite direction. Now, mm -hmm. you and I, Nicole, we're in the middle ground of that. We're saying, yeah. OK, well, listen, you can't just eat whatever you want. Right. But at the same time, there's nothing I can think of off the top of my head right now that is inherently bad for you that you should just absolutely avoid and never eat. You right. should eat things in moderation. You should be able to eat fruit. You should be able to have sugar. You should be able to have, listen, vegetable oils, not really bad for you, but you need to focus on balancing, like I said, that omega-3 and omega-6 uh, fatty acid ratio. And whole grains are very high in fiber. It's a great source of carbohydrate. There's nothing wrong with it, but you also can't swing to the other end where it's like, all right, well, food freedom, it's a free for all. I can eat whatever I want. Yeah. And we've talked about this so many on so many other episodes. It's really about balancing all aspects of your nutrition and health. Like it's not even just just the nutrition, your exercise, your sleep, your stress. Like, I mean, you can, there's tons of people that eat really great, healthy, organic food that still get sick. Why? Because it's not just about the food. And it's not just about what you're putting in for food choices and how you eat. It's all the other aspects of your health and wellness. I agree. And I think it's, you know, I, I like when working with clients and they realize I, we, we have that epiphany moment where they're like, wow, I actually I had a diet soda three times this week and I still lost a pound or I had the, my favorite Dove chocolate like you were talking about, and I still lost a pound. And I'm like, yeah, because you don't have to live to the point where everything is miserable. Listen, at the end of the day, it's all about balance and it's about 
choosing the foods or eating the foods that you enjoy eating within the parameters that you set for yourself and balancing and weighing and measuring and learning about quantities and portion sizes and learning about different foods and how they affect your body. And that takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a 21 day fix. It's going to happen over the course of essentially your lifetime. You're going to constantly be learning about foods. You're going to constantly be learning how it affects your body. Your body's going to change and then foods are going to affect you differently. Yes. So there, there are things that, you know, you want to look at, but what I, what I'll say is this, the red flags for me are calling things toxic and saying that things are absolutely bad for you and you should never eat them. I I don't think that that's the right approach. And I do think that that is what created fear around food, which then snowballed into a whole different subculture in our industry of, okay, well, you know what, you should just eat whatever you want at this point. And you know, it's, it's okay. Healthy or healthy at every size and all this garbage and nonsense that I see on the other sp- end of the spectrum. And Nicole's giving me a face of like a face, <laughs> like Darone, don't say that, but I'm going to say that I'm going to speak freely and say like, listen, that's nonsense too. Just like the nonsense that we're talking about on the other side. Well, the healthy at every size stuff is what I'm, I'm raising my eyebrows about, because I think that's very different than the disordered eating and fear stuff. I think being healthy at every size is different in my eyes. And I think that's a female thing. I think being healthy at every size isn't about the food choices or anything like that. It's that you can be curvy and no, 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 no. Listen, you can be, no, 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 no. You can be curvy to a certain point, but like you're talking people taking this information and saying, okay, well, I have a BMI of 42 and I'm healthy at every size, or I have a waist circumference of 50 and healthy at every size. Don't judge me. And I think that's ridiculous too. Well, no, that's the difference between being unhealthy at every size, at any size and being healthy at every size. Like if I'm healthy at every size, to me, I take that as if I am a healthy individual and I'm a size eight, but I'm a curvy fit chick at a size eight and I'm healthy. That to me is healthy at every size. If I'm a size. No, 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 no. no. I'm talking about healthy at every size. (laughs) I'm talking about healthy at every size from a bullshit body of research that talks about how you if that that BMI should go right out the window. And listen, I, I agree in that there has to be context put on BMI, too. Yeah, thank BMI you. should be thrown out the window and you can be fat. And if your blood work is fine, then no problem. But here's Until the issue. otherwise here's. But here's the issue is that when you're I, I, re- I remember reading that article, Nicole, and we talked about that a while yeah. back where they were talking about like 25 year olds that were, well, their blood work was fine. So maybe the dialogue should change with physicians. And my take on that is that those things are predictors, right? Your waist circumference, your BMI, those are predictors of long-term health. Yes. At 20 years old, you can get away with a lot, but when you're 40 and 50 and you've got hyperlipidemia and you've got uh, blood sugar issues, you're you're type two diabetic or pre-diabetic, right? That's going to catch up with you. So it's, it's a very dangerous message to me to tell people, well, you can be healthy at every size and you can eat whatever the fuck you want. I well, I will agree with you on that. If that's your thought process around what that means for me, I think I think what needs to be added to stuff like that is, you know, if if you're someone that is, quote unquote, healthy at every size and you can run a mile in in a great period of time, like your performance as a human is really well. You can lift, you can, you can create um, a healthy lifestyle in the gym and you're performing well, 
that should be another marker that's added to that because let's be honest that that's part of the process of being healthy long term do you know what i mean if you exercise on a on a regular basis and you're not eating in a in a calorie surplus and you just happen to be a bigger individual Right. Sure. But I think that that message too gets twisted up. And I think that there are people that are very biased about that message too. Yeah. And they're very yeah. biased in their research tactics and their techniques. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I don't think that that's cool. And I think that that is the opposition to what we've created in diet culture. Yeah. Yeah. I give you that. So I think, listen, that's, I guess, pretty much what I wanted to talk about today or what we wanted to talk about today. I, I sent this uh, Instagram post to Nicole. Again, I don't want to put people on blast today, but I sent this post to Nicole and I said, hey, you know what, Nicole, maybe we should kind of talk about this and talk about some of our thoughts of, you know, some of the things lingering around Instagram, whether it be from one side of the spectrum or the next. And, yeah. uh, you know, if if uh, if you like I said, if you have any uh, thoughts on this uh, CRISPR genetically modified uh, meat that's going to enter your supermarkets, shoot us a DM. I really want to know your thoughts on it. And. Mm -hmm. If you enjoyed this episode, click subscribe, give us five stars, write a review, share this with a friend, and you'll hear us next week. 